Welcome to another episode of Million Dollar Stories, where we get to interview authors from all over the world. Um, I'm fascinated by all my guests. I like to learn something from every single one of them. And uh, it wasn't until probably 2020, whenever I started to dive deep into the stats of my business and fall in love with the numbers and tracking everything. And that's why we're having our next guest on. He is an expert when it comes to stats for business performance. The book is called Statistical Thinking, Improving Business Performance. And we have the author himself, Roger Hurl. Thank you so much for being here, sir. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity and I'm excited for our conversation today. Well, let's start off with the genesis of the book, all right? Not many people out there are just in love with stats until they realize the more they pay attention to them, the more their business grows, which creates the freedom that they truly desire. So uh, let's start off with the genesis. Where did the book sure. come from? Well, it's it's an interesting story that I'll give you the short version of. I'm a college professor now at Union College in Schenectady, New York. However, at the time I wrote it, both I and my co-author, Ron Snee, were in the private sector. It's very unusual for statisticians working in the private sector to write statistics books. So why do we do it? Well, the reason is both of us were getting more and more frustrated as practicing statisticians because we would interact with people at work, say an engineer, and I'd say, oh, I see what you're doing. We could actually get some data and maybe design a little experiment, and that would help you quite a bit figure out how to improve this process. And the engineer would say, oh, no, I had statistics in college. That's got nothing to do with, with engineering. That's all theoretical stuff. And then I'd have a conversation with a financial analyst and pretty much go the same way. Well, you have a lot of data. Why don't we sit down? Oh, no, no, no. I had business stat in college. You just memorize a bunch of formulas. That's got nothing to do with finance. So we got frustrated. And finally, we said, are we going to spend the rest of our lives complaining or are we going to actually do something about it? So the first thing we said is, we're going to write a book because we know how statistics is actually applied in the real world, especially in business. Whereas most of the people writing statistics textbooks have never worked in business. They, they've been academics. They've gone from grad school to teaching. So we know what really happens and how it really works. So let's write the book about how things really work and uh, see how people react to it, uh, if people like it. So it's much more applied than most uh, statistics textbooks, although it does go into the theory. And what we found kind of surprisingly is we <laughs> probably half, maybe more than half of our sales came from the private sector as opposed to academia because uh, people teaching in academia looked at it and said, wait a minute, that's not how I teach my course. You're giving case studies. Uh, I don't do case studies. Uh, you're talking a lot about how to make improvement. I'm just trying to teach the methods. You're talking a lot about the quality of data. I, I just assume the data is a random sample. But people doing training, say, in the bank and finance, they were saying, oh, th this actually talks about real problems, the stuff we're worried about. So we did the first edition in 2002, and then 10 years later, uh, I decided to make the next, next big step is to say, well, I actually want to teach from this now. So in 2012, I left GE Global Research and came to Union College where I actually started 
teaching from the second edition of the book. So that's basically where it came from. Two guys working in the real world who felt the statistics textbooks were still in an academic world. They didn't really relate to day-to-day problems that people have to solve. Well, one of the quotes that stood out to me, and I can't find it right now, I'm looking through it, but I think it was in chapter one. Even if you don't care or pay attention at all to stats, your competitor is. And that should scare the hell out of you, right? You realize that your competition out there, the more they understand their numbers, the the, the more of an advantage they have. So it's almost as if you got to think as the big guys do. And the big guys are paying attention to their numbers. So um, the great quote of, people lie, numbers don't, right? Or numbers never lie, humans do, however you want to look at it. And I think that the more I dive into my numbers, I I think it makes me a better entrepreneur. And I bet you see that day in and day out. Is that right? I see that day in and day out. And I just saw an article, I think it was in Slow Management Review, don't quote me. And it was looking at Amazon, Apple, Facebook, uh, Netflix, Google, and it was basically saying they make up almost 30% of the S&P 500. Just a handful of tech companies make up almost 30%. Now, what are, what's unique about those companies? Well, they're all world-class in data acquisition, data processing, and data analysis. It's not a coincidence yep. that they're doing so well. They're really good at making sense of data and monetizing it. Funny you say that. I tell our clients all the time, Amazon is a data company that sells books, right? That's it. If well, I know I, I who's just, buying my products, I could serve them at a much higher level as long as I'm organized, structured, and very calculated. Exactly right. And There's so, a reason they can get you something tomorrow that the competition will take a week to get to you. Yeah. And so this gives a, number one, I think, number People will always pay for two things, speed and convenience. And that is all broken down into numbers, right? Logistics. It it absolutely is. So they figure that out and therefore they could charge a premium and it ensures uh, sustainability. The competition will come and go. Maybe they have a better product, but if they can't apply the same logistics and create that speed and convenience, it doesn't matter how good the product is. It absolutely doesn't. But data analysis can help you build a better product too. So uh, you do reference a couple bits of software throughout the book. And obviously you said before we hit record, it's really about the what, not the not the the how, right? Is that where you said? I like that. So the lessons though apply pretty much across the board. Can you share some of those lessons that you've learned about how important it is to track it, to analyze it, to pivot when things really start to shine through in a negative light? Yes. Uh, uh... I could go on and on. So. I know, I know you can. That's why <laughs> I will. I will try I to keep give you free short. reign. You're the statistician. But I've been with some companies. I I work for a company called Scott Paper Company in Philadelphia, and the uh, they went through a big high back in the '80s, and then the '90s things started to go down. And I had several conversations with people in marketing, in sales, in uh, R and D about. You know, things, the, the data doesn't look too good. It looks like we might need to make some radical changes. And the response I got was kind of shocking. It was, 
oh, no, 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 this is just temporary. We know what we're doing. We're a world-class company. Uh, you know, you can calculate your little numbers, but we really know what's going on. We understand the market. And uh, I actually had a manager call me and kind of politely chewed me out and said, Roger, I just think your attitude is very negative and we need positive attitudes. So if you come to another meeting that I hold, don't come in with a negative attitude. I'm going to ask you to leave. Within three months, there was an announcement that Scott Paper Company had been sold and they were closing the corporate headquarters. So I, I just scratched my head. You know, if I had hair, I would have pulled it out. It was like, what are you not seeing? The data is very clear as to what's going on here, but you're kind of living, you're, you're just in denial. You've got your head in the sand. And if you just paid attention to the data that's available, you don't have to go out and get a terabyte of phenomenal data. Just pay attention to the data you have in front of you, and it'll help you avoid make making a lot of these just what I call dumb mistakes. Yeah. And it, it makes me think of the movie, The Big Short. Have you ever seen that movie? I have not seen that movie, actually. But now you've, you've yeah, uh, you, you might, motivated me to watch it. You would love it more so than anybody, probably, because there's a numbers guy. And I think his name is Michael Berry or Michael Burry, something like that. But he basically called the uh, the housing shortage or the, uh, ah. the uh, subprime mortgages that were being sold in 2007, 2006. He caught it before everyone else. And so he bet against it. And it's called the big short for a reason where everybody around him thought he was insane. And they said, are you joking? He would go to his companies. By the way, these are like the big hedge funds, right? The, the big yep. players. You think they're all the big super boys. smart. But they're all looking at him saying, are you insane? Are you trying to be funny? He goes, all I know is numbers, right? This is all I know. And everything that I'm seeing is showing this, which means I'm so far ahead of the game. And, and I can't believe you are ignoring them simply thinking you are too big to fail. And he was right. They were wrong. So. If you just look at the numbers, and I don't care how much data you have in front of you, but as long as you look at it and don't ignore them, you can write the ship in time. And yeah. uh, it's a great Bible quote, but it basically says, if you're trusted with few, you will be rewarded with many. And it doesn't matter how much data is in front of you, but if you have a clear picture of what the numbers are doing, you're not going to make stupid decisions. And I think of, and maybe you saw this in the news, This I think it was yesterday or two days ago, UPS laying off 12,000 or 17,000 people or something like that. Yes, I simply, saw that. Simply because they what? They raise the incomes of these individuals. I mean, let's be honest. That, I, I, I think they should be rewarded. But when you do that in such a short window, if you don't have the revenue to come in, it's only a matter of time before this happens. So data had to have shown this from the beginning. Am I right? I, I don't see how it could be that uh, mind-boggling that when you start paying people a certain amount of money and you have a certain amount of them, it's going to cost you <laughs> a certain amount of expenses. I mean, we're talking about addition, subtraction, and multiplication. We're not talking about sophisticated math, but obviously somebody was not paying attention to the numbers. At a company like UPS, somebody was calculating those numbers. You, you couldn't have hid that. Somebody at night would have gotten their calculator out and done the math. So. Somebody was calculating the numbers. It's just that senior management wasn't paying attention to the mm. numbers. Now, the biggest issue I would assume is finding people who understand the numbers and, you know, maybe articulating them 
to management or leadership, right? And for them to actually, you know, I, maybe there is a, a belief in themselves that, oh, we can maybe uh, outrun some of the problems, but uh, that's a gamble. And I don't think the big players are gambling at a certain level. So what have you noticed? Do a lot of people in management turn a blind eye because they think, well, we can always change a marketing campaign or we can implement this. And that's going to be the game changer, almost as if they're betting on the future rather than themselves. Is that right? It is. And one of the, there's a couple of issues here. One is even in this day and age, 2024, a lot of senior managers got there because their gut was right most of the time. And they rode their gut feel and their intuition, and they made a lot of good decisions. They're smart people. And they got ahead based on, I'll call it gut feel type decisions, intuition decisions. And now when people are coming in with more sophisticated quantitative analyses, they're not quite sure how to handle that because their whole success is based on their gut. So it's it's very hard for them to say, yeah, I got to this position based on my gut, but now I have to change, pivot, like you said. And in this day and age, I'm going to have to utilize the numbers and integrate those in. A second thing that you know, people like me, numbers people have to acknowledge, we're not always the clearest communicators when we walk in the C-suite. And if we walk in spouting off a bunch of uh, Z values and T statistics and root mean square errors, the eyes glaze over and a lot of senior executives think you're speaking a different language. I don't even know what you're saying. There's no way I'm going to trust you with a billion dollar decision because you're, you're speaking another language. So I think people like me have to get better at walking in the office and filtering out all that lingo and just saying, based on my analysis, here's some things we know for certain. Here's some things we kind of suspect, but we're not 100% sure. And here's some things, quite honestly, we don't know yet. So based on that, it seems like this would be the right path. Now, that you can have a conversation over, whereas if you come in with your charts and your lingo, they don't even want to have a conversation with you because they can't understand you. <laughs> yeah, facts tell and stories sell. And, and, and that's how people are, uh, are trained, right? They, they're drawn to the story. So whenever you talk about numbers, it's definitely a fact, but it's not exciting. It's not sexy. It's not romantic. Right. And, uh, that does make it difficult for the communication to ever land. And so, uh, what would you say to somebody out there who's growing a business? I would say the average person maybe has a business doing maybe 300,000 to a million listening right now, mm -hmm. doing well. What do they need to do? I mean, I'm thinking that they need to get the software in place. They need to have some type of habit where they look at the schedule and say, we're going to track our numbers. We're going to make adjustments this time every month or every week. And then uh, we're able to calculate if our actions are actually producing any type of successful results pretty damn fast. So what's yep. your recommendation? Sure. I actually know a few people that own small businesses. And when I've talked to them about statistics, they're like, wait, hold on. I'm not. Google. I'm not Amazon. I'm not going to hire 150 machine learning experts, and we're not going to get state-of-the-art IT systems. I'm just a small business, you know, 300,000. So what I tell them is, you're not competing with Amazon. <laughs> you're not competing with Google. So you don't have to do all that. You're competing with the other mom and pop shop across town. Damn right. 
So all you have to do is get a step ahead of them. And of course, they'll catch up and you'll have to get another step. Start collecting the data that you think is most important for your business. And you know what? Day one, put it in Excel. Just use what you have. Start with what you have. Start plotting the data and incorporating the data into your decision-making process. The data are always our servant, not our master. So the data doesn't doesn't dictate to us, but rather it serves us to help us make wiser decisions. Now, once you do that in Excel, you're going to start thinking, oh, you know, if I had this other data, I could see how that relates to this. And if I increase that, if I increase my advertising, what's the impact on sales? And they'll they'll be motivated to get better data. And then they'll say, you know, I want to do some more sophisticated things is there like an inexpensive software I can get that's a little more powerful statistically than Excel? So I recommend don't try to jump to the end and compete with Amazon and Google. Just take it one step at a time. Use what you have, but integrate data and database decisioning into the way you operate, into your DNA, because I can guarantee you, you're going to be more successful than the guy across town that's not using data. Mm, know your numbers. I'm in the game, I guess. I started a business in 2008, but my first one wasn't successful until about 2016. So let's just say eight years of of real business um, uh, experience. So I will tell you that I don't know every single number in my company yet, but it's a constant evolution where you say, oh, you know what? I'm guessing that the average person who meets with us potentially signs up within about 65 days to start a book. But I don't know that number exactly. That is something I need to work on for this next quarter. And right, this is this is part of the game. Like you said, it's it never ends. The more no. refined you get, the more you'll start to see gaps. And then you constantly focus on the new gaps, which makes it pretty much like a like a scope on a gun where it just keeps getting clearer and clearer and clearer. So exactly right. This is so you you start with what you have, and then you start thinking about. What's the data I really need that I don't have now? Like you just said, uh, this is the data I'd like. I don't have that. Okay, so now start collecting that. And gradually, you're getting more and more sophisticated, but you're still doing it on a, on a manageable scale. You don't have to hire five statisticians. You don't have to hire any. But you're getting a little smarter every day. And what I found, the more data you look at and question and think about, the better questions you start asking because now you're a little more knowledgeable what's going on and instead of asking very basic questions of yourself or your organization now you're asking a little smarter a little more insightful questions because you've learned the basics and now your thinking has been raised to a little higher level Mm. we've we've done a lot of books when it comes to selling a business and what you're talking about makes the valuation of your company skyrocket. The moment you can sit down in front, in front of somebody who has no idea about your business and outline every number and really show the value of your company, just in number form, rather than the marketing and all the hoopla, you're going, you're going to get a much higher valuation for your company. So when you go to sell, this is all they care about, right? Uh, have you ever seen an exit of a company? And really, it's the statistician that pretty much saves the day because I'm seeing that from just being on the outside looking in. Yes. Uh, the uh, I've been part of a buyout 
when uh, when Cameron Lake Clark bought out Scrap Paper Company. And uh, back then in the day, this is back in the 90s, they didn't, Scott didn't have very good data. I'll be honest with you. I was there, so I know. And Kimberly Clark kind of struggled with the, with the purchase because it was hard to value things because, for example, we had a lot of product in the warehouse that was damaged product. Well, how do you, val- how do you value that? And so on the official accounting sheets, it said, oh, Scott Paper has this much in their inventory. I had been in the warehouse. I knew a lot of it was damaged goods. So if you don't have accurate data, you, you're not going to be able to buy or sell at the right price. Mm. What do you recommend when it comes to looking at the data? Now, I think there is a, there's something that could happen where you're looking at it and not giving yourself enough time for it to produce. It's like, hey, I started a business, but it might take three or four years for it to catch its wheels and pick mo- pick up on, on its momentum. So I can't look at the data right now because what I'm doing will produce results and create those that 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 an amazing fruit down the road. But it's just a little too early. So nowadays, I'm looking at maybe once a month, really breaking the numbers down, mm-hmm. setting a, a time in my schedule for us to do so as a team or just me with another person. Um, and I think that's good. But I've been in the game, like I said, for eight years. So what do you recommend? to a startup or maybe even the big guys? What are they doing? Sure. Well, in, in an academic environment, which is not what we're talking about, but in an academic environment, the way most people teach statistics, you're handed some data and then you say, okay, what can we learn from this data? Here's the data. Oh, the average is this, the standard deviation is that. That's not the way it works in the real world. In the real world, You don't look at data unless you have questions that you want answered. If I know everything, I don't need any data. Now, the problem is none of us know everything. So I always tell my classes when I teach, statistics doesn't start with data. Statistics starts with subject matter knowledge in which somebody who knows something about the the phenomenon of interest has some questions that they don't know the answer to. So if you have questions you don't know the answer to, then you get data to help you answer those questions. So you start out thinking before you see the data, what do I need to know that I don't know right now? Then let's go get some data that can help answer those questions. When you look at the data, typically, and I've looked at a lot of data, typically some of the questions will be answered, but then some new questions will pop up you hadn't thought of. For example, Every third data point is high. Huh, why is that? That doesn't make any sense. Why would every third data? Well, now you have a new question. It's at a little bit higher level because you have some knowledge. So now you think about, okay, what do we need to look at to try to figure out why every third data point is high? So then you figure that out. Oh, it has to do with the cycle of how we handle our inventory. Okay, so now we have to change that. What do I, okay, so... What do I need to know now? Well, now I'm going to ask a little more insightful question. So basically what I'm saying is don't run out and get a bunch of data and look at it and say, oh, what do I have in front of me? That's an academic exercise. Start out with what you know and what you don't know that you need to know and figure out what data do I need that will answer the questions I actually have to help me run this business better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would assume that it's just these little 
little bite-sized chunks that you're chewing off and maybe these little baby steps, right? When I first started, all I really cared about was, do I have a client, right? I mean, forget about data for a second. Let me just get a sale and then let me start to break down my profit margin and then let me see, you know, so it starts- Exactly right. Very, very Start smart, small. Right? Yeah. Oh, start small. And as you get experience doing it small, then you're going to ask more sophisticated questions. There's going to be more data that you want to see that you don't have now, and then you grow. But don't think, unless I can compete with Amazon, I can't get into the data game. I'm sorry you're not competing with Amazon, but you can get into the data game because your competition is not Amazon. It's the guy across town that's also a small business. And one thing that uh, came to mind whenever we scheduled this uh, interview was leading and lagging indicators. Uh, I think that when people think of money, they think, oh, that's a uh, leading indicator. Well, it's actually a lagging indicator. It's almost too late, right? So I start to look at my leading indicators and that means how many emails did I send out? How many phone calls did I make? How many people did I reach out to before anything ever happened? And then let's start to break that down into actual actionable steps afterwards. Money is really the end, right? So that that's significant. And I bet that's hard for many people to understand. So can you just explain it to our audience? Yeah, sure. The way I look at it, everything is a process. You have some stuff coming in, you have some value-added steps, and you have stuff going out. In a factory, for example, it's obvious you have raw materials coming in, you have reactors or something else going on in the process, and then you have refrigerators or chemicals or whatever it is coming out the other end. However, uh, finance is also a process. Closing the books is a process. Uh, Marketing, a, a marketing campaign is a process. You can study it. You can look at the individual steps, look at the inputs, and then look at the output. In all these cases, the thing that's easiest to quantify is the output. And in business, of course, the ultimate output is money. Mm -hmm. So people tend to focus on that, but that's the output of the process. That's the result of everything else you've done. That's like saying to be better in sports, we look at one loss. Well, one loss will tell you how you did, but it won't tell you how to get better. To figure out how to get better, you have to look at blocking and tackling and the other things that lead to the one loss. So in the business world, profit is the outcome. What we have to do is say, what are the key metrics within the process itself that I think, based on my knowledge or data, are clearly related to profit? What what inputs to the process do I need to keep track of that would give me confidence that I'm going to get the outputs I want? So we're moving from measuring at the very end to measuring in the middle and in the beginning part so that we can predict how we're doing and a pivot if things are not going the way we want them to go before we get the bad news at the end. Hmm. Man, so most people are focusing on the end rather than the beginning. And so these key performance indicators, we hear KPIs over and over in these masterminds I'm a part of. And uh, I didn't understand them at first. I'm thinking to myself, oh, the only thing that really matters is revenue and income and all right, what's my money for taxes? When in reality, the controllables, I don't know if the money's controllable, but I do know what's controllable is 
Do I have a contact list? Am I going to X amount of events? Am I speaking at X amount of events? Have I made X amount of contacts, right? These are the controllables and then everything else can be refined through standard operating procedures, which probably is a never ending process too, where you'll find new technology or new members to the team or new ideas. And all of a sudden it's the very same approach where you get numbers, but now you have processes and they should be in sync. And then you can relate them. And that's where statistics comes in to help us figure out which of these process metrics best correlates with the outputs that we want. You know, there's an old saying in agriculture, you don't fatten a pig by weighing it. And of course you don't. <laughs> now, if you're, if you're raising pigs, you want fat pigs, of course. So you're going to weigh them, but weighing them doesn't tell you how to fatten them. <laughs> so you've got to study <laughs> uh, animal yeah. husbandry and figure out how do we actually uh, exercise or feed or do whatever we have to do to pigs so that we get the result we want. So anybody can measure the output, but you have to be a little smarter to figure out what are the metrics within the process, key process indicators, or even on our inputs that we need to pay closer attention to because they are going to be predictive of the output. I interviewed a, a, a strategist. Uh, he, he teaches people how to become better strategists. And uh, we talked a little bit about how there's this paral analysis paralysis. Too much data actually makes you make the wrong decision. There's all kinds of data that shows this. And uh, one study, you probably have heard, you probably heard about it, but um, they took a bunch of people from the United States and then a bunch of people from all over the world. And they said, hey, which city is bigger? You know, Chicago or some other city. Tokyo. And it, yeah. And it was in the United States. Oh, okay. So it was a city that was very comparable, but um, it was it would be easy for you to understand if you're just like, oh, well, that sounds like it's more popular. So let me go with that one. Turns out that the people in the United States were mostly wrong. And the people outside of the United States were mostly right. Right. They don't live there. They're not near there at all, but they've heard of Chicago and they didn't hear about the other state or the other city. And so what it showed in this one study, and there are many, many like this, that if you have more data, more experience, you will start to take in more variables and then confuse yourself and say, well, there's all this. Let me choose this one because there's more variables to uh, comprehend when the other person had very little, little to go off of making the right decision, which does lend to the fact that maybe there is a, a thing called too much data. How can a company avoid this and therefore they can make the right decision and clear cut, look down at what's important right here, right now, so they can move accordingly? Sure. So I, I have seen what you're talking about. I have seen people in a room with uh, several outputs from computers on all different kinds of data, sitting there looking at it, trying to make sense of it all. What does it all mean? And, and really not having any idea how to proceed because they're overwhelmed. So the, I, I don't think you actually have too much data. I think you may have too much analysis in the sense that you're, you're majoring in minors. That's an mm. academic term. But like you're that. focusing yeah. on the stuff that's not really that important. So this is why I said statistics does not start with data. If it starts with data, then we have reams and reams of data. We're trying to figure out what does this all mean? I'm overwhelmed. So finally, I say, forget all this. I'm just going to go by my gut feel. If we start out saying, what do I need to know that I don't know now? 
oh, we can measure 150 things. That's not my question. My question was, what do I need to know that I don't know now? Oh, I need to know how many sales calls we made last week. All right, let's start with that. Mm -hmm. All right, we have that. Now, what else do we need? Well, there's all these. Uh, no, <laughs> I don't want to look at all these other things. What do we need to know? So if we're not starting with data and and uh, have no idea how to proceed, but rather we're starting out with key questions that need to be answered. Statistics is not the what, it's the how. Being successful in business is the what. Statistics can help you do that, but it's fundamentally designed to help us solve specific problems and specific questions. So if you don't know what question you're trying to answer, you're going to end up looking at reams and reams of data and not knowing how to proceed. But if you're clear on the question you're trying to answer, then we pinpoint the right data to answer that particular question. And that's not overwhelming. When it comes to any type of business, if it's predictable, then you have something. And uh, I think most people build a business that's absolutely unpredictable. When you are able to say, you know what, if we run $25,000 in ads, we know we're going to get X amount of calls and we're going we're gonna to close X amount of uh, deals. The moment you have that, you're off to the races. And then you can sell. It's a sellable product then. a sellable Exactly asset. right. Because if somebody comes in that's interested in buying, you can show them the fundamentals. And you can show them the data and say, see, when we do this, we get this result. You can see how predictable it is. So if you come in, even if you don't improve anything, here's the results you're going to get. But of course, you probably have your own ideas. You're probably going to come in and improve some things and you'll do even better. Yeah. Is it duplicatable? Question I ask myself all the time. Can we continue to do this and grow our team? Therefore, our we don't have a, a backlog of, of activity. Therefore, we are truly scalable, not only just on the sales side, but the operation side. Mm -hmm. And so uh, any software that you recommend out there for anybody who does have a business? I mean, Excel is such a go-to source. There's, there's probably many like it, but um, we use a software called Go High Level. It does a lot. It doesn't do everything, but it's, mm. it's pretty amazing. So anything that maybe you have seen or come across sure. that if might be valuable? If you're starting out and you're not a sophisticated organization, I would not recommend you start with programming languages like Python and R because you need a certain level of sophistication to be successful with those. Now, you know, this is what Google and Amazon do because they have the people to do it. But you don't have to do that. You can start with Excel. Excel does a lot of stuff. Now, when you start to get want to get a little more sophisticated, then there are some what I'll call intro level software systems that you don't have to program to use. So the one I use at uh, union is called Jump, J-M-P. It's made by the same company that makes SAS. SAS is a very high-powered programming uh, system, but the Jump is a lot easier to use. I teach uh, intro students how to use it. There's a competitor to Jump called Minitab. It's also point and click, and so you don't have to learn a programming language. So I would say once you get to the point where Excel's not doing what you really want it to do, then move on to one of these lower level. Uh, well, they're pretty sophisticated, actually. I don't call them low level, but they're intro in the sense that you don't have to learn a programming language. You can point and click. And later, you can worry about professionals who are come, going to come in and do coding. Yeah, that's whenever you focus on the who, not how. 
you hire somebody to do that, right? Because I've interviewed exactly people right. when it comes to R and it is so far up above me. It's crazy. Yeah. So incredible, incredible software, but you do need to be an expert in it. Is that right? It, it's a programming. It's just like learning a foreign language. So if you want to learn Mandarin, great. It's going to take you a while to learn it if you don't speak it now, but you can learn it. But uh, if you can do something where you don't have to learn the foreign language, you can get started a lot faster. Last question I have for you, and we ask all of our guests, uh, outside of your own book, is there one that maybe put you on this path or made you fall in love with numbers? Uh, you seem well-read. You've quoted a few things that makes me sound of, or make, makes me think of uh, uh, Jim Rohn. So you sound like a Jim Rohn guy, but uh, any books that stand out in your life that maybe uh, were defining moments? Yes, actually. I mean, I could, we could talk for an hour about that, which we won't, but uh, there's a book called uh, Thinking Fast and Slow. It's written by a guy named Kahneman. And he's actually, believe it or not, a psychologist. And he studied the application of psychology to economics. So you think it's got nothing to do with statistics. Well, interestingly, Throughout the book, he has case after case after case where you really need statistical thinking to address a problem, but people are so used to deterministic thinking that they get the wrong answers. Mm. So he's he's talking about uh, a variety of applications where, for example, people are wired to see cause and effect relationships, even when they're not there. When if you took a more statistical approach, you'd say, well, those two things happen, but we need a little more data before we jump to the conclusion that this causes that. So he said, unless you apply statistical thinking and recognizing that there's variation there, you're likely to jump to a lot of false conclusions, which in the business world, of course, can get you in trouble. So thinking, uh, colon, fast and slow. It's a, it's a fascinating book. Wow. Yeah, I am such a student of psychology. I just love understanding how I think. And then if I can understand myself, it helps me understand other people. So that seems like a very universal book where once you understand just the way people think and how to think a little bit more effectively, it does translate to other industries like absolutely statistics. Excellent. Uh, your book is on Amazon. Is there any website or any social media channel that uh, you want our audience uh, to look up? Well, the, the one thing I would say, the third edition is the one I'd recommend. That's the one that uh, just came out uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, we've tried to enhance it and put uh, We have a whole chapter on data and things to watch out for in data because there's a lot of bad data out there on the internet. Everybody's pulling data off the internet, but they're not quite sure what they're getting. So uh, Amazon, there is a, there is a, a site on Wiley. It's just simpler to get it from Amazon, quite frankly. And uh, that's that's what I generally uh, send people to. And it seems like all right, you're still a professor at Union College. Is that right? I still am. Yep. So guys, take a look at his book. It is Statistical Thinking, Improving Business Performance. It's on Amazon 2020. I think you said it was the, the most recent version. The third edition. And uh, Dr. Roger... Pearl is an associate professor at Union College where he teaches. I, I got promoted. I'm full professor now. Oh, full professor. Okay. You got to update <laughs> your bio here. Uh, where he teaches stats, engineering statistics, design of experiments, 
regression analysis, and big data analytics. It's been an honor to talk with you, Sarah. I love talking to people who are way, way, way smarter than me when it comes <laughs> to this stuff. So thanks for giving us your time today, man. You're quite welcome. Thanks for the invite. I really appreciate it. Well, guys, check out his book. If you want to get a little bit more uh, refined with your numbers, I highly recommend you check out Roger's book. And remember, a million-dollar book will lead to a million-dollar life. Right on.